1,190 Old Testament, New Testament translations and revisions that have happened since 1974. Hey everyone, welcome to What in the World. My name is Jake Lee and I'm your host and this is episode 12. This episode is going to be our third part of my interview I got to have with Nate and Don Kruger. So excited to wrap this up. Um, I had a really good conversation with them. If you haven't listened to the last two episodes, I strongly suggest you go back and listen to those because we reference some things um, from those. And this last episode is really going to look at one, languages across the globe and how God cares for every single language and wants to see his word translated into everyone's heart language, which is the language, simply put, people dreaming, the language you think in. And so for many of these listeners, obviously I'm speaking in English, so your heart language is probably English. For some of you, it may not be. Imagine trying to read the Bible and not being able to hear it in the language that you normally think in. It's a very important thing. It's a very um, intimate thing. And that's why we take this so seriously. And I get to be privileged to be part of a church that has cared about this since really the beginning of a lot of this translation work. Uh, when Elmbrook started right away, they got involved in it. And so I'm excited for you guys to hear the last part part of our conversation. And before we move forward, I just want to once again remind everyone to please uh, rate and comment on this podcast. Uh, would love it if you'd continue giving us feedback about potential new interviews and topics. And also continue to put this in front of new people. Um, we've seen a lot of new people being engaged with this. And for me, I think that's really important because we want to get this podcast and these stories in front of more people so that more people would have opportunities to hear about what God's doing and want to get involved in it. We want to keep that momentum moving. Without any further ado, let's jump into a cultural blunder story from Don. The people you should be asking are the people I worked with, not me, because I'm sure we did so many cultural faux pas that they graciously overlooked because, you know, we were, anytime you move into another culture, it takes a yep. long time to figure out the nuances and expectations. Um, but a couple things come to mind, one a little bit comical and one um, a bit more serious or sober, I guess. When we lived in the Philippines, we actually shared an apartment with our boss. He was Japanese. He only came to the Philippine office like once a month for three or four days. So he didn't want to keep an apartment there. So he kept a room in our apartment. And so he would come and he was a fascinating man. He had been in business. He had been in mission for a long time. He was a leader in the Japanese church, well-learned, well-read. And whenever he came to town, I just wanted to sit and listen to him and learn from him and absorb things from him. So we'd be, whenever he'd come to the apartment, I'd grab some coffee or tea and, we'd, and I'd be start peppering him with questions. But of course he's been traveling and he's tired. And I'm so American in so many ways, one of which is I talk a lot. And sure. in the group context, that was Nate's boss. He was Japanese. My boss was Korean. And when we would have meetings, he would ask a question and the colleagues on my team were Korean, Chinese, Filipino, um, Singaporean, etc. And so they were all quiet and they would just ponder the question. I'd say, well, I know the answer. And I would start talking right away and they'd all just kind of look at me like, okay, let her get over it and then we'll really discuss this topic. <laughs> One night in the apartment, Fukuda-san came home and I said, oh, Fukuda-san, I've got some questions for you. And he said, Dawn, not tonight. He said, you know, one thing you really need to learn about Asian culture, or particularly Japanese culture, is sometimes being quiet is communicating. Tonight, I'm communicating to you. 
<laughs> and he covered his mouth. And so I thought, okay, <laughs> I have to stop being so forceful, so talkative. They're much more, um, they're much more intuitive and relational than they are vocal. So that was kind of a, a lesson I had to learn that way. But the one that's more sobering is also worth sharing, I think. And that was something that I realized that happened between myself and a colleague from India. We were at a conference and we were sitting in round tables at the conference and he was to my left and there were others around the table from Indonesia and Thailand and other places. <clears throat> and we were sharing communion together at the end of our conference. To prepare for this around the tables, they set the communion elements in the center of the table. And then there was one person at each table who had been appointed to kind of facilitate distributing the elements. And so the person to my right took the elements and kind of conducted the communion at our table and handed it to me. And I took it with my hand, I, I took it in my hands, and then I used my right hand to take the element and set it down in front of me, and the, the tray was in my left hand, and I handed it back to the person next to me, and he was from India, and I saw him take the tray with his right hand and set it down on the table, and take his right hand to take the element off of it, and then pick up the tray with his right hand and hand it on to the next person. And I realized, you don't use your left hand in that culture. It's a defiled, it's a it's it's a dirty thing it's unclean i realized that as i handed him the tray of communion elements with my left hand i was actually defiling the communion elements mm. before i gave it to him later i went up to him and i said oh alex i'm so sorry i did that to you and he goes yeah i noticed that he said that's okay i understand and god cleansed him before i took him <laughs> so that was sweet of him but they just our, our colleagues had to overlook a lot of things that we did wrong simply because we weren't thinking or you know processing well that's so cool to hear how your colleagues had this really humble attitude towards you guys and were constantly willing to just you know forgive overlook and explain things too having your boss come to you and be like we communicate differently sometimes through silence and it's i mean obviously like i don't have a problem talking i have similar issues as you don where we're very western we're very forceful at times we like to share our opinions we want to dialogue about them where in a lot of other cultures sometimes the people who are talking least are the ones who actually have the most authority that's exactly right, Jake. That's exactly right. And it took me a long time to realize that in the context of our leadership meetings. Moving into the next part, I wanted to have you guys explain a little bit about Bible translation, because I'm guessing I have a lot of gaps too in how that process works and is fleshed out. I don't know that I can explain the process as well as I wish, because we're not translators. I do know that one of the things that a lot of people don't know, and especially today, most people can't know about these smaller languages. We know about languages of wider communication. We know about you know all the big ones that make a lot of money on Google and all that kind of yeah. stuff. But there are 7,117 languages in the world. There's just a ton of languages. And a lot of those languages, you know, are, are total, totally unknown, but they're known to God. And he's the one, he cares about each one of those little languages. Some of them, you know, are ranging yeah. from millions, tens of millions even, down to a thousand people, speakers, you know. So there, there's just this vast number of languages out there. So God's concerned for them, just like the one in the 99, for each one of them to get the opportunity, same opportunity to know him as we have. And one of the things that has 
really motivated me over the years is that knowledge and the fact that, you know, we got our first translation from Wycliffe, which is John Wycliffe in England, who translated the Bible for the first time in the English language back in the 1500s. And since then, you know, there's this explosion that came through the Reformation and all that kind of stuff where all these other lang- majority languages got the Bible. We have 400 versions of, you know, the Bible in English. So 400 versions that I can dive into, I can look at, I can try to understand the original Greek and Hebrew from the text. I can just sift through this vast wealth and resources because I grew up speaking English. But on the other hand, other people have zero. Zero. Yeah, not the first verse. Even though we're not translators, Uncle Cam, our founder, almost a century ago, said anybody that joins Wycliffe is part of this. And I want to, you know, enlarge it. Every single person, every single church, everybody who in any way contributes anything to this is part of Bible translation. And mm-hmm. so, you know, a while ago you asked me how many Bibles have come out of Albra. Yeah. And I went through this painstaking process of trying to come. Sorry for asking that question. <laughs> <laughs> we had seven. Okay, Albrecht did seven translations. Mm-hmm. But I'm arguing that since 1974, when you sent your first missionary, you've been part of this. And I want mm-hmm. you to know from the bottom of my heart and how thankful we are that Albrecht has contributed to... 1,190 Old Testament, New Testament translations and revisions that have happened since 1974. So it's it's not just exact number of translators. Yes. It's people who are all behind this, praying for this, investing some time and energy and, you know, all the committees that we have at Elmbrook, yeah. you know, they're all seriously investing in what we're doing. So I, I just want to thank Elmbrook one more time. There's a cute story I heard once about um, someone who was visiting a translation family uh, in the village where they were living. They had dinner with the family and they had some children around the table. And during dinner, the, the visitor was asking them about translation and how they go about it and what their job entails day to day. How do you fill your days? You know, what does it look like? After dinner, the children cleared the table and were working in the kitchen and the visitor wanted a glass of water, went into the kitchen to get the glass of water and saw the kids there. And so the visitor just casually said, and what are you kids doing? And one of the little kids drying dishes looked up and said, oh, we're translating the Bible into every language in the world. (laughs) It was a gorgeous story because it shows how it isn't just the translators, although they are the ones who are writing the words down, typing them or whatever the concept may be. but. People who are serving and contributing, Elmbrook is translating the Bible into every language in the world because you're contributing to the work that's being done through other ways. So it's it's really a team effort and it could never happen by one person going out on their own. Do you guys have any final uh, takeaway points or action steps that you'd like to make sure everyone knows before we wrap up this podcast? You know, it'd be important to for people to know that we came with what he gave us. You know, we're, we're talking all about translation. That's the ultimate, you know, thing is that we want God's word to them. We need translators, but we also need all kinds of support roles for, for that to happen. Don and I were helping other missionary kids, especially in their education, when they're overseas. How are we going to help them get the education they need? So first thing we did was we went as children's own parents. That lasted a couple of years. Um, and then I went into a classroom. I was a teacher, uh, trained as a teacher before we went. 
um, and that was the ticket that got us into the country. I was in education, then um, I went and retooled for special education because there were special needs in the, in the school. And after that, got into administration, vice principal, principal for about 10 years. So all in all, I was in education for about 25 years. Don was doing other things at that time. Then Wycliffe had a aha moment where they realized it's going to take 150 years going at, at the rate we're going to uh, finish okay. Bible translation task. And so we call it Vision 2025. And the only way that was going to happen is for the church around the world to participate rather than outsourcing it to linguistic society like Wycliffe. And so we got to the challenge of trying to engage the church around the world, especially where God is working in the majority world. And so that's where we went to Asia and tried to challenge the church around Asia. And there are all of these offices that we were relating to. And so that was my job for the next 11 years is trying to engage the church in the countries of Asia. Don was working in communications with these church, uh, with these offices as well. Um, but we've had multiple, multiple roles and there's all kinds of things that people can participate in, but that's just our, our personal journey. Let me just toss in to um, sort of spark the thinking on that. So you can imagine in any organization, we need people who, are, who work in finance, work in HR, work in childcare, work in operations, um, in travel and people management, because we've got people traveling all over the world and we have, and there are different political political, what do you call it, associations or, or government agreements that have sure. to happen yeah, yeah, yeah. for people to be in different situations. And then we need people on the ground, uh, on the field, who will receive and help orient people into a culture so that you know, they'll be effective early on. And there's just all kinds of job responsibilities needed. We even have, we have people who are guest caregivers and all kinds of things. So for you guys, you're kind of saying that Right now, you've had this journey of a large variety or array of differing jobs, differing things that you got to be part of and part of this work of translation. And what you want to see now is having other people realize that they can step into it in many different ways. And so, yeah, I just want to encourage anyone listening to this podcast that there's a lot of work that remains to be done, work that relates directly to putting scripture in people's hands. And you don't need to just be a linguist. You don't need to just, and if you are a linguist, that's great. I'll say that, but we don't. <laughs> that's the core of what we do. But there are tons of other ways to get involved. Yeah. So don't limit yourself because you're not a linguist, I guess is the point. I just wanted to say thank you guys so much for listening to another episode of what in the world. Like I said, I had a blast interviewing Nate and Dawn. I'm super excited for the interviews that are coming up. We've got some field workers from Harvest Fest who I just talked to. I've also got some coworkers who had some really cool transformative stories through mission that Elmbrook has been part of. I'm excited to share those. So that's what's coming down the pipeline. In this episode, I hope that this helped expand your view a little of what translation is and why translating the Bible is important and also how you could potentially get involved. Uh, one we talked about, there's a ton of skill sets that are needed in this, but also there's a lot of prayer because when we're talking about groups of people who have never had the word translated into their language, those are spiritual strongholds. And if you talk to people who have been part of translating the Bible, there's a lot of opposition you run into. One, normally culture, 
language, obviously, but also spiritual stuff, spiritual strongholds that Satan doesn't want to give up. He does not want groups of people to have the word, but we know scripturally speaking that there will be every tribe, tongue, and nation gathered around the throne. This is our chance to be part of helping that come to fruition. God does the real work, but we get to participate in it. So that's something you can pray for and something you can give toward. So if you would like more information on this, please reach out to us. You can go to Elmbrook's website or Facebook page or comment on the podcast and we will get back to you. But the next few things I just wanted to make you all aware of happening in Elmbrook Mission is that we're having a four-week class that's called From Ignorance to Humility, which talks all about uh, working cross-culturally, which relates a lot to what we talked about in this podcast. That kicks off right away in November. So that's one of the main follow-ups from Harvest Fest. And then also coming at the turn of the year in January, Elmbrook Lake Country is going to be hosting Perspectives, which is an amazing course that every Christian who are serious about living out their faith should take because it really helps give you, quote unquote, a better perspective on what God is doing and how we as human beings are called to be part of what God is doing. And it looks at it through a biblical perspective, a historical perspective. It looks at it through a cultural perspective and then ends with a strategic perspective. And this has been the best course that I've ever taken this point in in my life. I am super excited that we're going to be offering it at Elmbrook Lake Country starting in January. So you definitely want to get on our webpage, check it out, or just go to perspectives.org. So with all that being said, thank you guys so much for tuning in to another episode of What in the World. I will talk to you next time. This has been What in the World.